Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the awesomeo.com MMA DFS strategy show right here on awesomeo.com. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. As always, I am joined by the fighter Pete Rogers Jr. And this episode of the show of the podcast is brought to you by Monkey Knife Fight. We'll tell you about Monkey Knife Fight here momentarily. But uh, Pete, uh, happy Thursday evening. We come in off a uh, man. Here, here's how I described last week. DraftKings, can we please put late swap in, please? I, like, I, I don't have many requests in DFS. That's my only request right now, Pete, is can we get some late swap in MMA DFS? Yeah, I felt bad. I felt bad for anybody who rostered Chaz Scali or Jamal Emmers. Obviously, if you rostered any of those guys, it was pretty unfortunate because you ran into just receiving a big fat zero um, to nobody's fault. It just kind of some weird freaking uh, accident uh, and some incident of Jamal Emmers having back spasms before he was about to walk out. So I would agree that we do need some late swap. We need something in, uh, you know, to kind of help us in a situation like that. But I guess that's, that's like similar to a late scratch in NBA. I mean, is there anything that they can really do for it? It's so random and so like odd to occur. It's probably not going to enforce a rule change. Look, both of us have seen a lot of crazy things in the sport. It's a very rare thing where one fighter is standing in the cage and the other guy doesn't make it out to it. And now the ring announcer in this case, Joe Martinez goes, fight's not happening, folks. I, I, I look, I've seen a lot of crazy things in the sport. Uh, that is up there. That was by far my, my biggest surprise for what happened last week. But uh, of course, we're going to break down this fight car come up here. UFC Vegas number 20, as I mentioned right at the start of the show. Today's show is sponsored by Monkey Knife Fight. Their player prop based contests are easy to play and don't require the time commitment that other DFS sites require. In order to be competitive with Monkey Knife Fight, you are in charge. Whether you want to play NBA, UFC, PGA, esports, or soccer, Monkey Knife Fight has it. To get started, head over to monkeyknifefight.com 
and choose which game you want to play, your contest type, and your buy-in. And even better, when you sign up with the promo code AWESOMO, you'll get an instant first match deposit up to $50. So sign up today. I was uh, over on Monkey Knife Fight a little earlier looking at some of those uh, various lines they have up there. So definitely you got to check out our sponsor there, Monkey Knife Fight. But Pete, let's get right into the action. A, another heavyweight main event, back-to-back weeks of heavyweight main event. This time is Jairzinho Rosenstruck taking on Surreal Gun. Uh, first off, uh, Pete, uh, what's uh, what's your thoughts on this fight, Surreal Gun? Obviously, uh, the betting favorite in this one, at minus 265 betting favorite. And, of course, you got to pay up for him over on DK and on FanDuel, $9,000 on DK, $22 on FanDuel. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible uh, main event. I'm very intrigued to see how this goes. Uh, I was pretty high on Cyril Ghosn when he came into the UFC. And then, uh, you know, you started to see his career kind of materialize against some legitimate competition. But he hasn't been truly, truly tested in the octagon. I mean, I, I know that uh, Rosenstruck has fought some some big names as well. Uh, the common opponents, Junior Dos Santos, they both have had great performances against him. And... Um, you know, this is kind of, it's going to be a test for both fighters to kind of see where they're at in the division. Uh, Sorogan, big, big guy, um, does have the more elusive type of striking where he does have some footwork, uh, throws some good kicks, some good punches. But the X factor for his style should be looking to implement some takedowns. Um, Jerzynia Rosenstruck has that death touch where um, he catches Andre Arlovsky, catches a lot of people with that left hook, that kind of fade back left hook. And, um, you know, he's, he's so powerful, but his volume is, uh, is very minimal. So you, you have to always be worried about that. I mean, you saw in the, in the Alistair Overing fight of how Rosenstruck's okay with kind of sitting back and, uh, you know, just waiting for that perfect opportunity. And he, he bailed himself out with that, you know, literally last second knockout against Alistair Overing. But this matchup is pretty incredible. Um, you know, you have, you talk about heavyweights in the Vegas octagon. So obviously it's a smaller cage. Um, 86% finish rate for Cyril Gahn, 91% finish rate for Rosenstruck. I'm going to have, you know, shares of both, obviously, because you see what happens in heavyweights, especially, you know, in, we talk about prioritizing main event, co-main event underdogs. I mean, look what Derek Lewis did. He had ultimately a puncher's chance. And, uh, you know, you have Curtis Blades go out there and not effectively implement the game plan. And now you're talking about, you know, Derek Lewis having a path to victory. So, I do think that Sorrell Ghan is the A side of the fight. He has more ways to win. He should be able to outpoint and win rounds. Obviously, I am worried about his cardio outside of the first couple rounds because you're talking about big boys. But, uh, you know, I, I will have some Rosenstruck because he does have that KO ability. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about a little earlier today. I mean, I think the concern that I have is Rosenstruck of, you know, potentially getting off to a, a slow start, which we have seen. We saw it in the Overing fight, the, the first round of the Overing fight. He only threw five, or landed five strikes in that opening round. And, and against JDS, we saw a, a very calculated, I, I guess would be one way to put it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, obviously that's coming in all, off that knockout, uh, that knockout the feet that he had against Francis Ngannou, but you brought up a great point to me earlier, Pete, and I want you to talk to our, our audience about it, about the potential of could Surreal Gone wear down if this fight, say, hits third, fourth, and fifth round. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, Surreal Gone, I mean, up to this point, he's shown excellent, excellent cardio, but it's based off of not having much resistance, right? So like we've seen Rosenstruck at times, I mean, it's hard to say that Rosenstruck's had more resistance, but he has in a way, 
um, just because he's fought more opposition in the octagon. Um, Tanner Bozer is probably Sorogan's, you know, toughest fight because he had to make some adjustments in that fight, in that bout. You, you see what Tanner Bozer has done as of late. Um, but yeah, I, I do worry because of Sorogan's frame and his muscle mass that maybe over the course of if this, say, gets out of the three, the first three rounds, maybe he does wear out, wear out over time and, uh, you know, potentially runs into a shot against Jerzyna Rosenstruck. Obviously, I think the uh, likelihood of that, um, he's going to get hit in this matchup. But I, I do think that he's going to be able to clinch Rosenstruck against the cage. Um, you know, it's going to the, – the smaller cage is really going to make these guys clinch up with each other more often than not. And in the clinch, I do favor the bigger guy, Sorogan. And I think that uh, – I, I don't see it going five, Jason. I really don't. But obviously, if it gets out of the first three, I am worried about Sorogan's gas tank. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the questions was, uh, you know, Hunter asked about Gon going for takedowns, and you have to go back to his fight against Dontel Mays, where he was three for three in that matchup, ended up getting a third round submission in that one. So I think that's uh, something we have to take in there. Of course, uh, you know, I think also another another uh, commenter pointed out of, you know, what about Rosen tank Rosenstruck's gas tank? Yeah, I mean. Let, let's just say heavyweights, if you can find a heavyweight that has a gas tank, they're, they're pretty rare. I mean, Cain Velasquez is a guy that was like the anomaly for the division that seemed like he had just an endless motor. Um, but I mean, for the most part, these guys, bigger weight class, they're going to run out of steam. And, uh, you know, when, when heavyweights fatigue, you, you tend to see a stoppage just because, um, you know, just how lazy and how many mistakes that they make. But, you know, especially over five rounds, it's hard for me to really fathom it going um, it going five, uh, the Alexander Volkov curse blades is one of the, the last in my memory to go five. And it's because of the, the heavy grappling approach. Um, and even then, sir, uh, Curtis blades who trains at elevation was fatigued like crazy in that bout. Cause Volkov had to, you know, make him work. So I think that, you know, Rosenstruck's minimal output makes his gas tank appear better than it probably is. Someone in the chat had mentioned about the potential of Sorogan winning by submission, and so I just pulled up the betting odds on this one. Uh, Gone wins by submission plus 450, so that's some nice little betting odds there. Of course, if you want to check out the betting odds, all you got to do is go over to awesomeo.com. You'll see right there at the top of the screen, Odd Shopper, to where you can see what the betting odds are in terms of this one. I mean, if you look at the way way the odds shake out here, I mean, this is pretty much you're looking at, you know, based on the odds, seven out of 10 times that, that Sorogon's going to win this matchup. Uh, this is a fight that I would be surprised if it goes all 25 minutes. Um, I, I don't know if I sit there and say Sorogon's a guy that you got to have in your lineups or, or, you know, I mean, obviously if Rosenstruck wins, I think he, he's got to be in your lineup. So he'll, he'll be optimal because uh, of his price point. But I, I don't know if I sit there and say like, you know, th- there's been, you know, fights we've had over the past couple weeks where like, look, you know, have 80% shares in terms of the fight. I don't know if I'll have that that high in terms of this fight. Yeah, I mean, there's only 11 fights now. We had a couple fall out. Um, I would I would always prioritize in the main event as you know. I always want to you know have a share or two in that. I do think that I will have plenty of Sorogan because of the the more paths to victory. But I did look at uh, Jerzyna Rosenstruck, and it does appear to, that he's in good shape. Um, obviously, a lot will have to depend on the weigh-ins, but. I'll have a decent amount. I'm not going to like lock in the main event, but it's okay to get different and avoid, you know, we, we could be talking about a sluggish third round finish, which could end up not being a hundred points, which is kind of what you're wanting in the main event spot. 
Before we move on to the co-main event, be sure to hit that thumbs up button right here on YouTube. And if you are not subscribed to the channel, you got to subscribe to also right here on YouTube. Have shows all the time to get you ready for all the DFS action. Of course, myself and Pete will be here for about the next uh, 45 minutes or so, getting you ready for Saturday's car. Then, of course, we'll be back on Saturday for Live Before Lock. And don't forget, next week we got a pay-per-view great fight card. So looking forward to breaking that one down next week. Let's move on to the co-main event. We've got Nikita Krylov taking on Magomed Ankalaev. Ankalaev, a minus 360 betting favorite in this one. 9300 on DK, $23 on FanDuel. For Nikita Krylov, he is 6900 on DK and $8 over on FanDuel. Pita, what's your take on these two big boys? Yeah, I mean, you know, light heavyweight and heavyweight has been on fire lately. And I do think that this is a very, you know, pivotal matchup for the DFS slate. I feel like this is going to be, um, you know, it could be a part of the optimal. I just have a good feeling about it. I do think that uh, Magomed Ankalaev has the strike, uh, striking advantage here. I think it's slight. I think he has the power advantage most definitely in this matchup, though. Uh, Nikita Krylov is better than... I mean, it's he's twenty-seven and seven overall, but price at sixty-nine hundred, people can automatically assume that he's just bottom of the barrel. And I will say that he's you know a, a tough opponent and has a ninety-six percent finish rate. So when he does perform well, you know, of his twenty-seven victories, which is a, a large amount, um, you know, he has a, a ninety-six percent finish rate. But for me, I do think that Magomed Ankalaev is the A side of the fight. And, uh, you know, I think he's a rightful minus 300 favorite. I, I think that he has the power. I think that he can clip and hurt um, Nikita Krylov here. I think he can match the wrestling and even dictate where the where the fight goes if he wants. Like, if things get tricky and he's, it's a close round, he can take down Nikita Krylov. Nikita Krylov off of his back is, uh, you know, not, not so, so dangerous. I, I'm always worried about Nikita Krylov, you know, um, sweeping, getting top position, starting to rain down some ground and pound. Um, you know, he had a great, uh, performance against Johnny Walker, but I don't think that he's going to be able to replicate it here against, uh, you know, Anka live. I think that I'll have plenty of shares here and Anka live in the UFC five and one crazy to think that, you know, the dark cloud kind of hovering above him always is that loss that kind of like mental lapse to Paul Craig. And I will say that Paul Craig has a good ground game, but a guy like Ankalaev really shouldn't have slipped up like that. So it kind of does worry you. It worries me. So whenever I see Ankalaev here as a large favorite, and I know that Krylov has a good ground game, I have to kind of just like pause for a second and think about it. I'm going to have some Krylov. Like I do favor Ankalaev pretty heavily, but I don't think that, um, you know, Krylov at 6,900 to catch Ankalaev, whether, you know, he's fatigued after, you know, let's say two plus rounds or something late. I don't think that's crazy. Um, but the most likely scenario is Ankalaev gets it done. It gets it done pretty well. And three of his wins in the UFC and, and what I'm saying, Ankalaev have come in the first round. One of those was a 38 second win. The first matchup against Ian Kutalaba. Of course, we know kind of how that, that one played out there. Uh, you look at his other wins in the UFC decision wins against Abreu decision, uh, a third round TKO win against Dolce. You mentioned about that loss that he had uh, there with one second 
left in the fight against Paul Craig. And Paul Craig does have a, for a reason that's, that's like Paul Craig's thing. He's, he has the ability to pull it off. But you I mean, you mentioned about with, with Krylov, he he's a finisher. I do think this is, this is a, I think there's a couple of fights on the card that I think you really have to be looking at in terms of your GPP lineups. I thought William Knight and Alonzo Minifield was going to be one of those fights. Of course, mm-hmm. that fight not taking place due to COVID uh, the matchup now going to take place on March 27th. I, I did see on a, if you saw this of Tyson Chartier, the manager for William Knight, uh, had a, had a great gif of got to Vegas yesterday, right back to the airport and head back home. <laughs> hey, um, you know it's getting pushed back. I'm happy we don't have to break it down this this time because I do feel like that's a pretty difficult match. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk about, um, I don't know, just... It's a crazy matchup. It really is. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see and, and see if that fight actually does happen down the road. Yeah. Schedule will take place there on March the 27th. Of course, if you want to get access to all the premium tools and content we have over here, awesome You got to sign up for also plus weekly pass for twenty nine ninety five. That gives you full access to all the premium tools and contents we have, such as player projections, ownership projections, and our premium Slack channel where you can sit there and talk to myself and Pete in there inside our MMA channel. And of course, if you're just looking for MMA weekly pass, you can get that for eight ninety five. And we do have a promo going on this week over at the site for college basketball just in time for March Madness. Yeah, March Madness is almost here, and our college D- basketball DFS project- projections are now behind the paywall, and you can access those for half off the first week when you use the promo code COLLEGE. That's $4.98 for your first week of college basketball DFS. This offer is valid through Sunday, February 28th. That is this Sunday, so stop guessing, start winning. Join also plus today. Of course, that's uh, how I help develop my lineups every single day using those same projections that have made Alex Osmo Baker the number one DFS player in the world as uh it's it's a part of my uh you know I when I'm building my 20 max um, um Alex's projections is a, is a great tool that I have I, I do hand build lineups as well but uh yeah last week the hand build did not do very well as uh, <laughs> when I had Jamal Emmers in I think 80 percent of my hand builds yeah that didn't work out too well yeah, and then you you know you add on top of that what should happen just not happening, and that's that's the sport of MMA. What should happen, and you can watch all the tape you want, and what should be happening. Like the better fighter doesn't always win. It's the most frustrating part about this, uh, you know, this sport. You, I mean, how many times have you mentioned on the show? I mean, look, you can you can break down the fight, I you know, perfectly one punch one knockdown and it completely changed it all. You know, you, know, you look at Julian Rosa last week, landing that, that flying knee knock. I talked to Julian Rosa today and the thing that he told me, he said, he goes, look, he goes, he had that thought of starting the fight that way. He said, I very much thought of the Jorge Masvidal thing. He goes, well, my game plan was to take the fight to the ground. Well, he didn't have to, you know, talk to John Castaneda a couple of days ago, told me the same exact thing. 
plan was to take the fight to the ground, but you know, he chin checked Eddie, Eddie Wineland and he gets the knockout. So that just tells you what it is. And we always know in women's MMA arm bar from guard is always a possibility. Well, that's a great transition there, Pete. Let's talk a little Montana De La Rosa and Buena Silva here. 8,400 for Silva, 7,800 for De La Rosa, $16 for Silva on FanDuel, $14 for De La Rosa. I guess, I guess here, here's a, you know, this is, I think the breaking down this fight, Pete, I think is pretty simple. If the fight stays on the feet, you favor Silva. But if De La Rosa can somehow make this a jujitsu game, our bar for guard has got to be in the playbook. Yeah, as I almost die on stream. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I will say that, you know, let me preface this by saying that I'm not in love with either one of these fighters. And uh, I will say that it's a, it's a low-level um, women's MMA bout in the UFC. And I'm not really impressed with either one of them. I think that Mayra, uh, Mayra Buena Silva, she's limited. Uh, she throws a good low kick. Um, she's good off of her back and she's, that's kind of bailed her out in some of her fights. I, I will say that, um, De La Rosa has, you know, improved her boxing and, you know, she's, she's tough. She proved her toughness in that, uh, Viviani Auto Ujo fight. She was able to, uh, obviously take damage is not a good thing, but she was able to, to, to keep going and show her heart in there. And I do think that we could see some, uh, some of her, her boxing hard work, you know, kind of pay off in this matchup because when I was watching uh, Bueno Silva and I was going back to that Marina Moroz fight, you know, Marina Moroz just really throwing out some, some quick hands and kind of lighting up Bueno Silva. Obviously, Bueno Silva was looking to, to chew up that front leg. So I, I do wonder if she's going to kind of do the same uh, strategy here against De La Rosa. But the thing with De La Rosa is she's able to chain takedowns together uh, and create scrambles and get on top. Now, that's that's the danger, right? Because you're always worried about, you know, the person who's on top getting submitted from bottom with an armbar because it's so common. Um, but I feel like De La Rosa could be too wise for that and could avoid the dam- uh, could avoid the submission a little bit better than other opponents. I, I like De La Rosa here. I, I like the underdog here at 7,800. I'm not really impressed with Bueno Silva. I understand that she has some, some good uh, tie boxing and some good jiu-jitsu, but I just think that De La Rosa has fought the tougher competition. She's a little bit more tested in the UFC's octagon. Um, and I think this, this fight's going to really come down to the wrestling. And if you watch a lot of the uh, wrestling transitions in both of their fights, I will say that De La Rosa seems to have the edge in that department. So I'm favoring De La Rosa here, and I'm not in love with the matchup because I feel like it's going to go the distance. But for an underdog play, I, I do think that De La Rosa is not bad. Yeah, just looking at the uh, the prop bets on fight goes to decision minus one ninety five over two and a half rounds is minus two thirty five, and the over one and a half rounds is minus three ninety five. I, I kind of look at this and say, is this more of a cash game play for you than GPP? Yeah, I mean, it's it. I would say, like on paper, it looks like a cash game play because it's like find an underdog that's semi-safe that's in like a 50-50 type of fight. And that's what we have here with De La Rosa against Bueno Silva. Obviously, the upside is cap, but De, uh, De La Rosa is averaging 75 DraftKings points um, per fight. Uh, the, the thing that I really like is her 1.96 takedowns per 15 minutes. I think that's pretty good, despite the 30% accuracy. I think that she's just going to press a pace, um, can match her in the boxing department, can probably have the advantage in the, in the clinch, and... Uh, you know, has to avoid the knees up the middle because, you know, Bueno Silva has good Muay Thai. But I think that she's going to win the wrestling. Um, 
the wrestling transitions or the scrambles. And I think Bueno Silva can almost accept takedown sometimes, like a lot of jiu-jitsu practitioners do. They accept the takedown because they're comfortable off their back. It's not like a you know hot lava situation where they don't want to be put down there. They're, they're like, okay, now I'm down here and I'm going to start to chain my submissions and work towards uh, you know getting a finish. We saw that last week with Charles Rose. So we've now seen yeah. now a couple of fights in a row where he just – you know, it just seems too comfortable off his back, and it comes back to bite him. I personally, I don't love the fight, especially for GPPs. Another fight that I'm not a big, uh, big fan of in terms of, of DFS. I think from a fight aspect, it's a great fight, and that's Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. These guys were supposed to fight a couple weeks ago, however, it did not take place due to COVID. So, uh, in terms of the salaries for this one, Jimmy Rivera eighty three hundred seventy nine hundred for Pedro Munoz. And then over on FanDuel, $17 for Rivera, $15 for mm-hmm. Munoz. Break this one down for us, Pete. Yeah, I think it's a really close fight. I really do. I think it's a very close fight. Um, you have Jimmy Rivera, who regionally, like especially in New England, like everybody in New England knew who Jimmy Rivera was based off of Bellator, based off of you know having just good uh, regional fights. Um, I actually had a, a friend of mine who fought Jimmy Rivera, so, like, he was a notable name for the lighter weight classes around here. He's so, so talented everywhere. I mean, he's a good striker, good grappler, good wrestler. He's just good overall. And coming from Tiger Shulman's, um, I would say that's an underrated team. And Tiger Shulman's, like, they have a, a, a good stable of fighters with them. Um, maybe not the, the type of notoriety like a lot of other big gyms have. But, uh, you know, facing off against uh, Pedro Munoz in this rematch – I went back and I watched the rematch and uh, I was really, really impressed. And I thought I would be really impressed with Jimmy Rivera since like, you know, this was some time ago and um, you know, he coming into the UFC had so much hype. Um, But I was actually really impressed with Pedro Munoz. And I think like, you know, at this point, Pedro Munoz could be a guy that like a lot of people have kind of like written off in a way, like he just dropped the fight to Frankie Edgar. And now you just saw Frankie Edgar kind of get, um, knocked out really bad against uh, Sanhagen. But I think it's a close fight, and a lot of Jimmy Rivera's fights go the distance. And on the feet in the fight, they were going tit for tat. Rivera was catching him early and, and was having a really good round one. Um, they had moments where Pedro Munoz was rocked, and then Jimmy Rivera looked like he threw a, a crazy combination and not punched himself out, but fatigued himself a bit. Then you started to see the uh, – you know, Pedro Munoz start to come back and rock Jimmy Rivera. So, I mean, this is a really close fight. And I think that on any given night, one of these guys can edge the other one out. I will say that Pedro Munoz mixes in a little bit more kicks than Jimmy Rivera does. And Pedro Munoz has a little bit more volume because he's more aggressive. It's not like he's a fast fighter by any means for the division, but he just throws, he just throws more trying to win the round. So, I actually like the underdog here in Pedro Munoz at 7,900. I did not think that I would like him. I'm a big Jimmy Rivera guy. But after really watching the first fight and then like every fight after this, I think like going up against Frankie Edgar and arguably winning that fight has prepared you pretty well against uh, Jimmy Rivera. So I, I think that Pedro Munoz could surprise people here at 7,900. I'll split my exposure. It's a fight that I'm kind of tempering expectations, like you said based on the chances of it going the distance. But uh, I like the underdog, 7,900. Their first fight was five years ago, and, of course, uh, both these guys have evolved as a fighter. But if you want to just look at the stats from the first fight, uh, 98 total strikes for Jimmy Rivera, 96 significant strikes 
uh, 67 for Pedro Munoz, uh, total strikes, 66 significant strikes. But I think the stat that really jumps out to you, and I think this would be obviously if this happens this time around, is more the FanDuel side of things. Pedro Munoz was 0 for 7 in takedown attempts, where Jimmy Rivera was 0 for 3. And, of course, we always talk about that on the FanDuel side of things. Of If you do expect one fire is going to be going for a ton of takedowns, something to take in, which, by the way, is another great transition to our next fight. That's Angela Hill and Ashley Yoder, because I think we expect Ashley Yoder uh, to be looking for takedowns against Angela Hill. This fight was actually made last Saturday. Both the fighters uh, took the fight. Angela Hill was trying to do whatever she could to get Tisha Torres to accept the fight with her. That did not take place. So now it is Ashley Yoder, and you got to pay up for Angela Hill in this spot, 9,200. I get the question has got to be with, with Angela Hill is if this fight goes 15 minutes and it's not a stoppage win for Angela, how does she pay off her price? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, she has a crazy high volume, 5.7 strikes per minute. Um, obviously, Hill will have to defend the takedown attempts from Yoder. Uh, in a full training camp, Angela Hill against Ashley Yoder, um, who, who, who would you be favoring? I would be favoring Angela Hill quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But I think the X factor here, here is that this fight is on relatively short notice, and you don't really know how the training has been for either one of them. Um, you talked to me before the show, and you're like, you know, what happens if Angela Hill was just prepare, preparing to get a Tisha Torres type of fight? And maybe she was working pr- predominantly just her striking. Now she's having to fight a grappler. I'm sure over the years, and especially Angela Hill from uh, their, their first encounter, she has improved quite a bit. And I will say Angela Hill, you know, she's not susceptible as much as she used to be. Um, a little bit more well-rounded, has a high volume. I don't know if she'll be able to pay off that 9200 price tag. Crazier things have happened. Um, she could be going out there to look at, you know, to make a statement off of, uh, Yoder here, um, to really get that fight that she wants. I will have plenty of shares of Angela Hill here at 9,200. Yoder is one of the fighters that I, I don't really think that she has a a great path. She has a path to victory. I just think it's very unlikely. Um, obviously the only thing that could happen is if, you know, Yoder has been training really hard and Angela Hill hasn't, you know, we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the path to victory for Yoder is getting the fight to the ground. And you think about that fight that Angela Hill had uh, recently against Claudia Gadelia, where Gadelia, you know, was able to get the fight to the ground in the first round, but she could not, you know, Hill was able to stop the takedowns in the second and third round. And I mentioned this point to you because we've talked about the new DraftKings scoring system and its effect on strikers. If you are an Angela Hill backer in this one, the, the fear I think you have to have is what happens if. Ashley Yoder can make this a clinch type fight. And all of a sudden you're only getting 0.2 strikes for Angela Hill because they're not considered significant strikes. I think that's gotta be concerned if you're going to roster Angela Hill. Yeah. I mean, I think that whenever a fighter's clinched or whenever a fighter's taken down or they're facing a wrestler, their upside could be capped in a way because of, uh, you know, just the control time or just the, the time that should be spent throwing strikes they're not able to accumulate points so like hill like you speak of is a great fan duel play based on how many takedowns she's probably going to have to defend um but uh you know that's a worry and a fight to fight i kind of just like to pick the sides that i like and see how it happens and how it unfolds because let me tell you a lot of times fighters have game plans those game plans get thrown out the window 90 percent of the time as soon as you get hit in the face 
Um, and you're off of instinct right there. Um, and in addition to that, like, it's really hard to predict how certain fights would go because a lot of times they go the complete opposite of what you anticipate. I'll bring a point when I was talking to John Castaneda earlier this week, and, and he was talking about what his game plan against Eddie Wineland was. And he's like, look, you know, Eddie was a very unique fighter to prepare for because of the way he throws his punches. He keeps his hands down low and he goes, the team was doing their best to get me ready. He goes, he goes, but it took me a while to kind of get it all figured out. He's like, look, I wanted to wrestle, but it took some time to figure it out. And I want to bring this point that Miles brought up in the chat about Angela Hill, where she could be kind of a, a great MVP play on FanDuel. If she's able to get that volume off, keep this thing at range, and defend those takedowns, she could be that sneaky type MVP pick because I don't think people are going to look at her as, you know, they're going to be looking. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Looking at, you know, fighters like Surreal Gun, uh, Ankalaev, um, probably someone in, in the opening fight of the night as their their core MVP play. So I think that's something that you definitely do have to think of in terms of that one. But, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a solid point of how much wrestling has Angela Hill been working on over the past couple of days. That's uh, something that we just, or past a couple of months, is something we just do not know. Of course, uh, when you want to get all the information on also, you got to give us a follow on Twitter at awesomeo underscore com. Help us get to 30,000 followers on Twitter, and what we are doing right now is we are giving away 30 free weekly passes to our followers. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at awesomeo underscore com. Also, be sure to follow our MMA account, which is at awesomeo MMA, where you can get some great content there from uh, all the great content that Pete has up on the website. Website, you got to check out all the coverage that Pete does have over there. Let's move on to the next fight, and that is Alex Aceres versus Kevin Kroom. Kevin Kroom, about uh, I guess about been about a month ago at this point, he called this. He told me that he calls this fight the battle for the UFC ninja. And we were talking before the show, and when you're looking at underdogs this week, there's not a ton of underdogs that stick out to you. But Kevin Kroom is one of them. Yeah, I like Kevin Kroom here. Um, Now, we can say that he has – both of these guys have incredible amounts of experience. And on the regional scene, you have seen Kroom kind of, you know, have waves in his career, ups and downs, up and downs, getting stopped, getting stoppages, getting stopped, getting stoppages. But we have seen him, in a way, improve over time. And let me say that James Krause, if anybody can fix your game, you go to James Krause. I mean, look, look what uh, look what he did to Derek Minner last week. And, you know, Rosa really didn't give any resistance at all. But, you know, Minner improved. And a lot of times 
when you have such a uh, mastermind like James Krause in your corner, he can kind of bring the best out of you. And we have seen him really, you know, positively influence a lot of fighters. Now, I think that he can help Kroom here as well. Kroom's a really, really aggressive striker um, who does have a ton of submission wins as well. He just closes that gap, gets in your face and likes to brawl. That's the best way. If you've ever, if you've never seen Kevin Kroom fight, that's what he does. I mean, um, he's fought a lot of regional talent. Um, he's kind of dropped the ball on some, but I will say that he is tested. Now, um, his stats are completely overblown if you're looking at the heat sheet because obviously his fight lasted, what, 31 seconds against uh, Roberts where he hit him with a beautiful combination, crossed to the body, left hook up top, rocked Roberts, dropped him to his knee, snatched a hold of his neck, and hit him with a beautiful front choke, which was it was excellent. It was awesome. It kind of took us all by surprise. Like, whoa, we know that he's a finisher. So, you know, Kevin Kroom, a guy, 7,400, who's going to go out there and look to to get bonus money is kind of what you want. He's bonus hunting. Now, um, Alex Caceres over the years, you know, 12 and 10 in the UFC has a ton of UFC experience, but we have seen him get dominated at times as well. Like he's on a heater right now, but uh, you know, you, you talk about Chase Hooper, Springer, some guys that are kind of like middling talent. If that, um, I wouldn't say that Kroom's so much better than those guys, but I will say that Kroom is a dog and Kroom's a guy that can, you know, really test how bad you want to be in a fight. Um, he's just extremely aggressive. I feel like Kroom's going to be able to go out there as long as he can close the distance, which in the smaller cage is going to be a little bit easier than normal. Um, you know, it's it's a tricky, weird fight because of Caceres' karate-esque movement, lots of footwork. Um, just with Caceres, I think his path to victory would not be via t- TKO or KO. I think it would be, you know, Kroom getting lazy and getting caught in a submission. I think that's kind of what would happen or, um, you know, winning on scorecards on just points. But I think that crew at 7,400, you could do worse for a guy that's going to really go out there and try to get it done early, try to get you that, that nice score for DFS. So I like crew here. I really do. I think that, you know, with the coaching staff, I'm siding with them. Yeah. I remember when I talked to, uh, Kevin after that win against Roosevelt Roberts, he, he, talked about how James Krause absolutely turned his career around and, and mentioned about he was in a, you know, he was in a bad place. And he's like, and he goes, James completely turned my career around. Uh, we, when you look at Alex Caceres, when you look at his wins in his career, I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that Sergio Pettis is his best win. Oh, 100%. I like, if you go back and you look at like his record, He's been inconsistent as well, but obviously he's kind of grown up in the UFC, right? We've we've known him for a very long time, so we've seen him in a way get better, but kind of stay stagnant and kind of just like learn as he goes. Um, you know, I, I think that it's a close fight. Um, as Hunter, you know, mentions in the chat, the mental side of this one's a little too hard to gauge, and I would agree with that. Um, you know, how is Kroom outside of round one in the UFC? We saw only 31 seconds. Does he really go too crazy too early and kind of fatigue over time? I know that he's a dog and he's going to go for it. So I'm going to sprinkle him into my lineups and uh, I'll favor him just so slightly. All right, Pete, that fight against Sergio Pettis was mm-hmm. seven years ago. I'm yeah. going to relate this to you. You had not had your second pro fight yet. It's a long damn time ago, bro. That is a long time ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, you fought April 25th, 2014 against Franklin Isabel at CES 23. 
Damn. Yeah. 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 That was, I was sidelined to injury, you know, due to injury for a while. So like, man, that's a really long time ago. Feels like yesterday though. But, but you do mention, I mean, it's been a very up and down career, but Alex Aceris has been on a nice little roll here. But this is a fight that I think you, uh, you know, when you're looking at that under 8,000 options on, on DraftKings, I think that Kevin Kroon has got to be one of those guys you look at. Let's move on to the next matchup, lightweight matchup between Alexander Hernandez and Tiago Moses. 8,700 for Hernandez, 7,500 for Moses. And twenty and eleven dollars on FanDuel, respectively. Of course, Alex Hernandez made the move out to Factory X uh, before his last fight looked good against Chris, Chris Grutzmacher. Um, I, I think the only concern, you know, I, I guess let's start on, let's start on Tiago Moses side of the equation. Clearly, he's got to get the fight to the ground. He's got to make this jiu-jitsu fight, but can he get it there? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing people say that he needs to get it to the ground, needs to get it to the ground. I don't really know if he needs to get it to the ground. And I know that he's a decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy, comes from a great camp. So obviously, like, you know, his strength is on the mat. And he was he was getting lit up by Michael Johnson. Like, let's not, let's not like, forget about that. He was completely getting lit up. But I thought that Tiago Moises had, a you know, a good account of himself against Bobby Green. Still didn't think he won the fight, Jason, but he did look good in and improved in that bout. Like I thought that he had no shot going against Bobby Green, but it's Bobby Green who allows all of his opponents into the fight. Okay, he's fighting Jason Floyd. Guess what? Jason Floyd's tied 1-1 going into the third. Um, you know, I will say that Tiago Moises can match Hernandez in some aspects, but the new Hernandez we saw, like the Hernandez 2.0, looks like a guy who's super like motivated. Um, he seems to have like a, a different aspect on MMA and seems to like have calmed down and kind of like uh, started to really find himself. And he looked like a very methodical striker out there. Um, he has good wrestling, good jujitsu to rely on. So like if this fight hits the mat, I don't really know who truly has an advantage. Um, we did see Alexander Hernandez, like pick apart Chris Grutzmacher. So, um, I just don't know over 15 minutes who will truly have the edge here because they've both been inconsistent, but both are coming off of like easily their best wins. Well, not for Hernandez, the, the debut against uh, Benil Darius can't yeah. get better than that, but like he looked so much improved and this is probably, that was probably his second best win. And being a factory X, he's around, you know, more quality fighters than he was in, in Texas and, so I do appreciate there you in the super chat. We'll answer your questions once we get through all of the matchups here. But uh, you know, Alex Hernandez, he's just one of those guys that you know. I, I think you, in, in a way, you you do kind of have concerns about whether or not to trust him at eighty seven hundred. But to me, I think he is the right side to play uh, in this matchup. Now uh, we'll move on to the next one. Is a fight that is a replacement fight. Uh, it was initially supposed to be Alex Oliveira against Randy Brown. However, Randy Brown out of the fight. Ramazan Kermagomedov now steps in. Uh, you may remember him from his fight on the Contender Series against Jordan Williams. Uh, won that fight be a split decision, but Dana White elected not to sign him. As I recall, I believe basically Dana's was, hey, I, I felt Jordan was the one that was going for the finish, and, and that's why uh, he did not sign Kermagomedov. But 8,300 here for the, the fighter stepping up on just a couple of days. No, 7,900 for Cowboy Oliveira. Uh, do, you know, obviously, Cowboy Oliveira, I mean, he's, a, he's always, to me, a GPP play you got to look at because if Cowboy's winning the fight, it's going to be by stoppage. 
Yeah, I think this I think this matchup is just GPP territory. I don't I don't know why you would really touch it in cash games. I think it's just extremely volatile. Um, you'll have to really tune into the weigh-ins. I want to see how Cowboy Oliveira looks on the scale. I also want to see, you know, Kuromagamadov, who took the fight on short notice. Like, has he been training consistently? I'm, I'm sure he has. I'm sure he's been, you know, somewhere close to the Vegas area so that he could accept and be ready to step in quickly. Um, I, I will say that it's a really tough debut to go up against, uh, you know, Oliveira here. I think that Oliveira is a very tough fighter to go against. Over the course of the years, we have seen him, you know, decline in a way. He is 11 and 7 in the UFC, but he brings it early and he's so physical for the division. Um, you know, he, he just kind of tapers off as the fight progresses. So I think that could be, you know, a slight edge, you know, towards Kuramagomedov is, you know, if Oliveira fatigues or if Oliveira can't land a shot or even land a takedown, because I don't think that he's going to be able to out-wrestle Kuramagomedov. I think Kuramagomedov will have the advantage in the wrestling, a slight edge in the striking. It just depends on the experience and the debut of Kuramagomedov. Like, how is he, is he going to perform like himself? Or is he, is he going to perform like a 50% version because the nerves have gotten the best of him? He's taken it on short notice with maybe no camp at all. So, this is a big X factor, Jason, but I I really think that Kuromagomedov is a talented fighter, undefeated for a reason. Um, I think that he has good striking, good kicks, and good knees I've seen. So he can really pick his legs up or his knees up and sneak one up there against Oliveira and maybe make him quit in some stage or get takedowns to solidify rounds. But it is a very difficult fight. And uh, I think on Saturday we'll have a clearer answer of who we're siding with. But for now, I do think Kuromagomedov is the side that I will be backing as long as he's like 100%. You know what I mean? I think that it's a he, he can have a decent showing here. Yeah, to me, Randy Brown was going to be someone that I was probably going to be targeting on, on this car. I liked him in that spot. But, however, that is not going to take place there. But, uh, you know, it's uh, – it's, it's uh, you know, like the question we had last week was, you know, who are the fires stepping up on short nose? And it's Kermaga Madoff. He is a guy this week uh, stepping up on short nose. Well, at least as we do this show. I guess I have to kind of preface that out there. But, uh, of course, we appreciate everyone here on a Thursday night. Watch us live right here on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to Awesome right here where you can watch all of our shows. And, of course, you got to hit that notification bell so you know when a new show is live here on the channel. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to uh, smash that thumbs up button. That really does help us out a lot as well. Move on next up to a female matchup. That will be Alexis Davis versus Sabina Mazzo. Sabina at 8,900, Alexis 7,300 over on FanDuel, $19 for Mazo and $9 for Davis. What's your take on this one? Tough fight for Mazo because she is facing a veteran, but I mean, let's be real. Uh, you know, Alexis Davis is 36 years old. Sabina Mazo is on the up, whereas Davis is on the, you know, the decline. So despite Davis being like a staple for women's MMA over the years and fighting like the who's who, She's fought some legitimate competition. If you go back into her record and you look, she's fought notable name after notable name. And, uh, you know, she's six and five in the UFC because of it, 19 and 10 overall. Big, big step up in competition for Sabina Mazo. But at this stage, I will think that uh, Sabina Mazo, uh, she has the edge in the striking pretty clear there. I mean, 7.1 strikes per minute, high, high output. Um, she throws a lot. And uh, she has good Muay Thai, you know, good knees, good, good punches, good kicks, lots of head kick wins on the regional scene. 
but it's the the grappling right like I wonder if if she's taken down and controlled or even against the cage by Alexis Davis, who's a veteran, going to close the distance in the smaller cage and look to, you know, eliminate getting hit in the face. I would imagine at times Davis has, you know, encouraged the striking exchanges with her opponents. But I think the smart path to victories here is, uh, you know, put Mazo on her back and try to get some rounds and win a decision. Um, You know, Davis – you could do worse than Davis at 7,300. I'll have some exposure. Like, I feel like this card is, a, is like, you know, tweaking the optimizer a lot and, and splitting your exposure to a lot of different underdogs that you think are in good, in good positions. There are very few that I'll write off on this card just because I think that, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these matchups are close. I will say that Sabina Mazo at 8,900, hefty price tag, but I do favor her in the fight. All right. So, you know, I got to point out what the prop bets are here. Oh, boy. Over one and a half rounds, okay. minus 675. Over two and a half rounds, minus 400. Fight goes the distance, minus 335. Now, let's say you think Sabina Mazo is going to win by finish here. Uh, Mazo by TKO KO, plus 615. By submission, plus 815. And if you just want to take her to win inside the distance, plus 410. I think that should tell you exactly what the uh, the betting public thinks of how this fight is likely going 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if it goes 15 minutes and with Sabino, Ma- it stays on the feet with Sabino Mazo's, uh, you know, her output, I think that she could really come close to having a high performance here, even at 8,900 and with the new, you know, scoring system, just because of how many strikes and how many of them will be significant. So uh, she'll definitely be a name that I circle and Davis is, you know, she's an okay dog to uh, include in some lineups. Now, if you ever do miss any of our strategy shows, they are a part of the Osmo Podcast Network. Just go to Osmo.com slash podcast to find the links for the podcast that you are looking for. And be sure to leave a five-star rating on the podcasting platform that you are listening to the show on. And what we got going on for when you do that, you got a chance to win a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. And of course, uh, another great, that's another great way that you can show your support here for the podcast. Also uh, mention uh, the free content this week, MMA free content on the site is the pro plays actually put in my pro plays a little right here before the show. So you got to check that out over at awesome.com. Next up, we got Vince Teixeira taking on Ronnie Lawrence, looking at the salaries here. We got 7,600 for Vince, 8,600 for Ronnie. And then over on FanDuel, $18 for Ronnie, $13 for Vince. What's take beat yeah i mean i think that this is a lower level ufc fight and this is a fight that would be highlighted on the regional scene um i do think that running lawrence does have some skills and i think that vince cachero has some skills um you know obviously looking forward to the debut of lawrence and looking to see cachero here with a full camp i mean he stepped up on short notice to go against jamal embers and in doing so like that's a very difficult fight especially when you're a weight class above your norm And in the fight against Jamal Emers, he was taken down five times. So you know that Jamal Emers has a great, great wrestling background, but he is now faced up against Ronnie Lawrence, who in his contender series fight landed 12 takedowns and looked pretty incredible uh, in that fight. And just the pace at which he was doing lots of, he was getting double underhooks quite often. And when he was getting double underhooks quite often, you know that he has to be, you know, a, a very skilled wrestler because it's not easy to do. Everybody knows you don't want to give up underhooks. So I know that, you know, with the, with the trips and the relentless pressure 
Lawrence is a guy, 8,600, who could take his opponent to take down City if Cachero's takedown deficiencies are still there. I mean, he was taken down five times by Jamal Emers, but he was also picked apart on the feet. I think this is a close fight if it stays on the feet because I do think that Cachero is skilled. I don't want people thinking that Cachero 7,600 is not a skilled guy. He is. He has decent hands. Um, he seems to be decent everywhere, and it's just like, you know, he, he's not a specialist by any means, whereas uh, Ronnie Lawrence seems to specialize in taking his opponents down. Um, I'm interested in both parties, to be honest, but 8,600 for a guy that could possibly take his opponent to take down City, and it's probably going to go to distance. I, I'm, I'm going to favor him in this matchup, 8,600. So when Vince got that short notice opportunity, he was packing up his house in California because he was moving to Colorado because his, his uh, wife had gotten a job in Colorado. And literally, he gets a phone call from his manager, Jason House, saying, you want to fight this weekend? And he's like, yeah, I want to fight. And he has moved his training to Factory X nice. in Colorado. So he has been alongside Alexander Hernandez preparing for this fight card. So I think that's something to pay attention to there. But I agree with you. Ronnie Lawrence is – there's a reason. He's the betting favorite in this one, and people are going to be looking at him. Now, the first fight of the night, and everyone knows I'm not huge on, on taking the first fight of the night, but I kind of feel like this is a, a fight that you got to put uh, have good exposure to in your GPPs of Dustin Jacoby taking on Maxim Griffin. Justin, Dustin Jacoby, nearly a two to one betting favorite in this one. He's eighty five hundred on DK, seventy seven hundred for Grisham, and over uh, on Fanduel eighteen dollars for Jacob and sixteen dollars for Grisham. I do want to bring up this question that came into my Twitter account a little earlier today as I scroll down my Twitter timeline to find that question. Um, and, and this was uh, from Hunter Man. He says, in the Jacoby fight, can I have each of your opinions on the grappling exchanges? For me, Grisham has a wrestling advantage, and he has probably has to try and use it. What happens when he tries to wrestle and get the takedowns? Can he get them and wear down, just, wear down Dustin? What do you guys think? Uh, well, look, Dustin Jacoby is very used to people trying to take him down because the, the reality is most guys um, are, are not going to want to have a kickboxing matchup with them. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting fight. I'll have both sides because, you know, Grishin has shown a lot of promise outside the UFC, 31 and 8 and 2, um, you know, in, in total for his for his MMA career. And, you know, he's, he has some big wins, a lot of, you know, decent amount of stoppages, 71%. But, uh, you know, I think that he does enjoy striking, but he will be outclassed in this matchup against Dustin Jacoby. So obviously he'll have to resort to takedowns, which, you know, he has the wrestling advantage, but it's not like it's his bread and butter. I think that he can get Jacoby down. I just don't know how often, and if he can keep Jacoby planted on the mat, obviously, if you take a notable kickboxer and you put them on their back, they're going to be less threatening for sure. But I, I do favor Dustin Jacoby here and keeping the fight upright and uh, working towards a finish here with tons of leg kicks and good punches and uh, you know, just kind of outworking his opponent. Grishin's a pretty good underdog, though, 7,700 for a guy. If you just look at MMA records alone, right? Dustin Jacoby, 13 and 5, Grishin, 31 and 8. If you were just looking at the MMA records alone, you would say, I'm siding with the guy who's 31 and eight. He's got nearly 40 fights. Um, you know what I mean? So I couldn't, I can't blame you if, if you feel like that, but I do like Dustin Jacoby. I think that he's really kind of transformed into a very well-rounded mixed martial artist. And even if he's not like patched up his weaknesses, 
his strengths are so strong that I think that he can cause a lot of people problems. And then when you're talking about Grishin, who's going to be taking some damage from, from Jacoby, can he still perform and take his opponent down after, you know, receiving, I don't know how many strikes. So it's an interesting fight. I do think that this fight could be optimal, Jason. And uh, it kind of sticks out to me on the card as a fight that I will be targeting. And yeah, I mean, look, when you talk about Dustin Kobe, he's got an additional 18 kickboxing matchups yep. as well. So a total of 36 professional fights here, uh, I think. But this is a fight in terms of your GPP. I do believe that you got to be uh, looking at this one. But look, for me, if Christian was going to the, the the him taking the fight to the ground, I think is his path to victory. Dustin, it's about keeping the fight on the ground, by the way another factory X fighter on this car. So something to kind of pay attention to there, you know, multiple guys all getting ready. Let's get right into our straight up fight picks before we get into some questions. I'll go down my picks and then Pete will give his, uh, I'm going to go gone in Silva, Rivera, Hill, Croom, Hernandez, Oliveira. Don't feel good about it. Mazo Lawrence and Jacoby. Okay. Um, yeah, non DFS related. I'm going gone in De La Rosa, uh, Munoz, Hill, Kroom, Hernandez, Kuramagamadoff, Mazo, Lawrence, Jacoby. Uh, we'll get over to uh, Samuel's uh, super chat. We'll get some questions in here before we get out of here on this edition of the DFS Strategy Show. Of course, be sure to hit that thumbs up button and make sure you're subscribed to Osmo right here on YouTube. Samuel with his usual questions. Top two cash, top two GPP, top two live dogs, inside distance favorites, top two MVPs, top two champions, and who will break the slate? Let's uh, let's start off with the cash question in that one. Uh, to me, as, as I look at it, um, I look at Ankalaev, and my number two, I think, is pretty tough uh, in terms of this one. It might be Mazo. I would say for cash, I would probably say Ankalaev and gone. Um it's going to be tough to have so many heavy favorites in your lineup, but I do, I do like that quite a bit. Uh, in terms of GPP, um, I, I think you got to be looking at that co-main event. So I, I do favor Ankalive in that one. And the other GPP, I think it's going to be the first fight of the night in, in Dustin Jacoby. Yeah, I think that the Ankalive Krylov fight, um, and I will say – Man, might be the Caceres Kroom fight too. Yeah, that's that's no way. Uh, top two live dogs. We we've talked about Kevin Kroom as, as a live dog there, uh, plus one sixty two. Um, I, I think in terms of other live dogs to maybe sit there is uh, maybe it's Montana De La Rosa. Yeah, I like Montana De La Rosa. I also like Pedro Munoz quite a bit. Uh, Kevin Kroom. Um, that's kind of outside of DFS related. That's just DFS related. Those are the ones that I'm looking at. Uh, inside the distance, I, th- I think it's you look at main event, co-main event. Um, I think the other one, I would probably look at Alexander Hernandez as well. Yeah, I feel like that's a that's a, a sneaky fight too. That fight could uh, definitely end early. Uh, top two MVPs over on FanDuel. Um, I mean, look, you're going to have to pay up for Ankali if you're going to have to pay up for uh, Surreal Gone. I mean, look, everyone's going to be looking at that main event in terms of of MVPs. I mean, look, I think Angel Hill is a very sneaky MVP, but, man, you're going to have to pay up there 
for $21. But I, I think you got to look at someone like a Jacoby at $18, uh, Alex Hernandez as 20 is some top plays there. I like Hill quite a bit. And I will say, um, ain't alive. Looking over uh, at Superdraft in terms of their champions, uh, ones that stick out to me, uh, Ankalaev at 1.5 times. I think you got to look at uh, Kevin Kroom as well at 2.2 times. Uh, and another one that I would throw out there is I think it's got to be Dust Jacoby at 1.75 times. What's Angela Hill at? Uh, she is 1.5. I like that. Yeah, so uh, there, there's definitely some ones over there. Who can break the slate? Well, I will say that a lot of people, who's going to be written off? Obviously, Jerzyna Rosenstruck, if he wins, he's most likely winning via finish, so he can definitely break the slate. I think that Krilov can break the slate as well. Um, I would say Alexis Davis, people are going to write her off. Yep, I definitely would agree with that. Uh, Yoder too, right? Like if Yoder does anything and takes her down, like she could break the slate in a way from making Angela Hill not be optimal. Um, I just don't know if Yoder would actually have a good score. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Uh, in terms of that one, just kind of want to go down some questions that maybe we had not gotten into before we get out of here. Don't forget, Live Before Lock coming up on Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, we'll be here to take you and uh, get you ready for UFC Vegas number 20. Of course, uh, be sure to check out all Pete's uh, coverage over at awesome.com. Uh, Miles says, do you guys see Alex Caceres as a good leverage play? I, I think it's a leverage play. I think that it's uh, termed correctly because you know that a lot of people will be on Chrome. But the problem is, if, if Kroom comes through, obviously you're not going to have the have good uh, good lineups. The thing with Caceres is just kind of like, if he wins, does he score well? Like he's he got a, a decent score against um, Chase Hooper, but like outside of a submission finish, I don't really see how he can actually get a really good score, especially with the new new scoring system. Uh, I want to mention this question over from our Slack account from Matt. He said, and this is not relation to the fights on Saturday, but he says, who wins the four-man heavyweight tournament we may see? Romanoff versus Espino and Aspinall versus Dawkins. God. You Aspinall don't know what to do. Versus- Romanoff beats Espino. Yeah, uh, Espino's that- out. See you later, Espino. Um, Aspinall versus Dawkins is an interesting fight. No, it's Aspinall. Aspinall gets rid of Dawkins, and then it's Aspinall against Romanov. I love how our listeners like know how Pat. Like I hate heavyweights. I really do. It's like my least favorite weight class. But this new wave of heavyweight MMA is like really intriguing to me. Um, and it is. It's Romanov against Aspinall. I think Aspinall wins, man. Yeah. Um, Thomas asking about, uh, you know, weigh-in commentary after it's all over. You can go to Osmo.com and you can see what, what Pete writes after the weigh-ins. Yes, sir. That is right. Uh, then we'll leave on this. Matt goes, uh, how stoked are we for next week? Uh, very much so. It's a great fight card. I was actually looking at it uh, right before I did my podcast on Wednesday. I was looking. I was like, damn, that's a great fight card. Top to bottom. I, I honestly, I'm week to week right now, Jason. I haven't really looked for it or looked at it. Um, but I, I know that the headliner is awesome. Let's just say this. Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny's on the prelims. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Either I'm old or uh, 
the mighty have fallen. Uh, don't say a little bit of both, does it? No. Well, you're, first off, you're way younger than me. First off, so I can't I can't say you're getting old. True. Good. You know, I'm I'm I turned forty this year, so yeah, you are way younger than me. <laughs> But uh, we will be back here on Saturday for Live Before Lock Course. Keep it locked here to Osmo all day long. Of course, uh, come on Friday, we'll get you ready for the NHL, NBA, everything going on in MMA, DFS. As always, appreciate everyone that tunes into the Strategy Show. We will see you on Saturday for Live Before Lock. <laughs>